Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. There had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. of this lover's lament crap. I want something peppy, something happy, something up-tempo. I want something snappy. Get out your flintlock muskets. It's time for the annual Thanksgiving turkey shoot. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We take aim at the year's biggest musical disappointments. And we hear some of your turkeys, plus what happens when Elvis Costello and Marcus Mumford take on Dylan's lyrics. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and you know, Jim, people are still talking about the basement tapes that Bob Dylan and the future members of the band recorded 47 years ago in upstate New York, and now we've got a new project paying tribute to the original basement tapes done in Los Angeles. Basement in Los Angeles, but in Los Angeles nonetheless. <laughs> uh, helmed by T-Bone Burnett. And we're going to talk about that later on in the show. But first, we've got some music news. Papa, they're waiting just outside my door. This is where I make my stand, because I can't stand it anymore. Papa, they have no heart and soul But make no doubt about it They're the ones that's in control So prepare yourself For a war unlike you've ever seen Mm, This is man against machine That is Garth Brooks with the title track from his new studio album, Man Against Machine. Garth Brooks, one of the top three biggest-selling solo artists of all time. 134 million albums sold. Has a new album, his first in more than a decade. He took basically the decade off to uh, raise a family, three daughters. Now he's back returning with a major arena tour, the new album, and also a new digital platform to release this music. Not only for Garth Brooks' own music, but for any artist who wants to uh, take advantage of it. It's called Ghost Tunes. So Garth Brooks, one of the biggest performers of the last two decades, is now taking on all these digital platforms, basically telling iTunes and Spotify, I can do it better. Now, Brooks has put his money where his mouth is in terms of staying away for most of these digital platforms in the last couple decades. He has not made his music available there. He's basically saying, they're not good enough, I can do it better, here's how. One of the ways he's dissatisfied with what the current digital platforms are doing is that the artists are not able to speak directly to the fans. They're not able to put out the music in the way they feel is correct. He's making his platform compatible with any kind of playing device. He's also offering an incentive to artists saying, I'm going to give you an 80-20 split on the revenue instead of a 70-30 split as most of these other platforms are doing. He says, I can do it better. Country artists in general have continued to prosper by selling physical product, but I don't want the corporate tail wagging the dog. 
Naturally, I'm scared, he said, but he added that music makers won't thrive unless they tear down the, quote, the crap that's been built between the people and us, the artists. That's a little bit of Blank Space, a new song by Taylor Swift from her 1989 album. And maybe young Taylor, Greg, would be interested in investigating Garth Brooks's new Ghost Tunes digital platform because she sure isn't going with Spotify anymore. We talked about this story last week, but it's continuing to become a major war of words between Taylor Swift and the people at Spotify, specifically corporate founder Daniel Eck. He fired back this week. Taylor famously pulled all of her music, not only 1989, but her earlier albums from Spotify, saying that artists are not being treated fairly. Specifically, later in the week, she said, I'm not willing to contribute my life's work to an experiment that I don't feel fairly compensates the writers, producers, artists, and creators of the music. I don't agree with perpetuating the perception that music has no value and should be free. Now, X said, so far, Spotify has paid more than $2 billion in royalties to artists whose music was streamed on the service. And then he specified how much money Young Taylor would have made. This year, $6 million if she had kept all of her music on the service. That's interesting. On the other hand, he does point out that Spotify is paying, on average, per stream, seven-tenths of one penny. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. So if you are not getting streaming numbers up in Taylor Swift land, you ain't going to make $6 million. You're going to be lucky to break 10 bucks. X argument goes on basically to say, isn't it better to get seven-tenths of a cent per song than to get nothing. Because if Spotify goes away, music will just be traded for free. I think he makes some very good points, Greg, that they are paying artists, and Spotify has been out in front of all the streaming services in trying to treat artists fairly. But Taylor's argument goes back to we are still making much less for recorded music than we ever made in the past with sales of physical product or with digital downloads. That Garth Brooks service is is willing to do an 80-20 split. You know, I don't think the numbers matter at, at a tenth of a penny. You know, if Spotify is giving a 70 30 split, I think artists are saying, Taylor leading them, we'd like a lot more. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and each year on this show, in honor of Thanksgiving, we like to do our annual turkey shoot. We should explain what that is. 
we're not shooting fish in a barrel here to mix our metaphors a little bit. It's about albums that we had high expectations for but fell way, way short of the mark. In other words, these are artists we not only respected, but we were expecting more great things from. And here came an album, and it was just a complete dud in our world. Jim, you're going to go first on our turkey shoot. What do you got? I am going first, Greg, and I think that this one really illustrates bands we've loved severely letting us down. You and I both are huge fans of the Buzzcocks. Three brilliant albums released in the original punk era in the U.K. and a best-of collection of their singles, Singles Going Steady. You are not a rock and roll fan if you don't own that album. Write down that name, Singles Going Steady, right? One of the best best best-ofs ever. The Buzzcocks are rare among the plethora of bands that have reunited from the punk or the alternative years and actually put out work as good in their second incarnation as the first go-round. They have now made six albums since they reunited in 1993, only three albums the first time, and five of those albums have been really good. So I was expecting the new one, The Way. It's only singer-songwriters, guitarists, uh, Pete Shelley and Steve Diggle now. I I figured they'd they'd pull it off again because all the others have been pretty good. Unfortunately, we now have an answer to the question, can even... A really energetic, hard-hitting, fast-moving band eventually run out of steam? The answer is yes. You know, the Buzzcocks were famous for these two-and-a-half-minute songs that packed in a hundred hooks, all right? And the, the hooks are sparse on this album. The tempos are much slower. The boys are losing their voices, in particular Steve Diggle. And they're starting to sound like grouchy old men complaining about, like, Twitter and online dating and how it's... <laughs> It's not really a great way to meet people or communicate. And it's just, oh, it's just heartbreaking. I I was really disappointed. Sample this tune, Virtually Real. You'll see what I'm talking about. By the Buzzcocks on Sound Opinions.
That's a little bit of the Buzzcocks from The Way. Greg, what is your first musical turkey? Jim, well, this artist is uh, one of your favorites, and mine for that matter, but I was greatly let down by his first solo album. Hard to believe it's Damon Albarn's first solo album, the co-founding member of Blur, that great UK rock band, also the founder of Gorillaz, which had tremendous commercial success in the last decade. I loved almost all of the albums by those particular bands, and Albarn was a big reason for it, but his solo album's a huge letdown. I like the idea, the idea of sort of taking an autobiographical look at his early days. He addresses everything from his heroin addiction to a piece of graffiti that he saw that inspired uh, one of Blur's greatest albums, Modern Life is Rubbish, to this song about a baby elephant that he remembers from his childhood. That song, called Mr. Tembo, is one of the few up-tempo songs on this record. And there's the problem. This is like a slow-motion instant replay of Damon's young life. You know, it's all set in molasses. I think he's striving to create sort of a gray beauty here, a brooding sense of, you know, wistfully looking back on his past. But it's just drab. And and, and Damon, frankly, sounds a little narcotized on this record. It's just like he's not completely present. I was really disappointed by the down-tempo, down-hearted mood of this record, and I felt it needed more variety, something that you would normally expect from somebody like Albarn, who is great at creating these kaleidoscopic kind of soundscapes. He's not delivering it here. It's a real letdown for me. Here's Mr. Tembo from Damon Albarn's Everyday Robots on Sound Opinions. In Chile, in Chile, can I sing with you About Mr. Tembo and what he's got to do But first I'm going back to the co-work road Find the mission and help him with his load. Mr. Tambo's on his way up the hill with only this song to tell you how he feels. But to get there, he will need a helping hand. It's where he is now, but it wasn't what he planned. TV in Mr. Tembo's room. Of the emphatic night, he checked in on his own. At Mokamazi Inn and made it his home. Mr. Tembo's on his way up the hill. With only this song to tell you how he feels. But to get there, he will need a help. That's Mr. Tembo from Damon Albarn's first solo album. I, I think that's hitting below the belt, Greg. I did not like that song, <laughs> but that was the only song that I thought was a misstep on a brilliant album. I think you were just missing the sort of more quiet, introspective, middle-of-the-night contemplations that he did with Blur, and that was the whole mood of this album. I think he did it very well. 
I'm going to move on, though, to another Brit who let me down this year. You and I both were big fans of Lily Allen, who broke out as a MySpace phenomenon in 2006 with All Right Still. We also liked her second album, It's Not Me, It's You. She was a guest on Sound Opinions. That wonderful, sassy, streetwise, feminist hip-hop she was making was just a real treat. Then she started having kids. Now, I think you can still be a mother and a wife and have a great amount of sass and sarcasm. Remember Roseanne? (laughs) Okay, it's possible. But here, Lily Allen, the Brits called this album her new one, She's Us, which is a a nod to Kanye West, her mumback. M-U-M-B-A-C-K. And they said she didn't do it very well, and I would have to agree. She suddenly is singing a lot about sitting home as a mom and seeing all these pop divas on TV, and she's taking gratuitous shots at all of them. It just talk about shooting fish in a barrel, right? She's talking about how good her husband is in bed, which is a little bit TMI, and then she's doing stuff like bragging about how bad she is on the Internet. I'm going to play that track in a second here. It's called URL Badman. It's just, you know, she seems much better than this. There was one really good song on here called Air Balloon, which is one of those kind of early 70s psychedelic pop songs. I can imagine her singing this to her kids at home. I wish the whole album had been in this vein. Somebody remind me where I am, my am your Timbuktu. Did I ever tell you my uncle's monkey ran away from the zoo? Would you tell me what this all means? What happens if I go through that door? Cause I'm looking up at the ceiling, but it's turning into the floor. Instead, it's much more like this track, URL Bad Man, by Lily Allen from She's Us on Sound Opinions. I work at home in my parents' basement. I don't troll, I make statements. I'm not a cliche sitting in my PJs, double cupping at lunch on a Tuesday. I'm like Drake so don't hate me. I get vexed if you don't appreciate me. Real talk, I put the world to rights, and when I'm a big boy, I'm gonna write for Vice. It's not for me, it must be wrong. I can ignore it, I move on. But I'm a broadband champion, a URL bad man. If you're trying to call URL Badman from Lily Allen, her third album, She's Us, a real disappointment. Coming up, we'll continue with our annual Thanksgiving turkey shoot by handing the rifle over to you. Then we've got a new album to review, a unique take on the music of Bob Dylan. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Well, frogs had wings and snakes had hair and automobiles went flying through the air Well, the watermelons grew on a huckleberry vine It's still had winter and summer time Turkey in the hay, hey, 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 hey. Turkey in the straw, 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 straw Pick them up, shake them up, and away it all Play a little tune called the turkey in the straw Milk and I didn't know how I built 
the old goat instead of a cow or a monkey sitting there on a pile of straw. Awaken his eyes at his mother-in-law. Turkey in the hay. Hey, hey, hey. Turkey in the straw. Straw, straw, straw. Pick him up, shake him up, and he went on. Play a little tune called Turkey in the Straw. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis. It's Thanksgiving, and it's time for the annual Sound Opinions turkey shoot. That's what we're doing right now. That is one of my turkeys, Bruce Springsteen's High Hopes, the title track from that album. That sets up the premise very well. I had high hopes for Springsteen, as I always do, and as has happened a lot in recent years with Springsteen albums, I was let down by this one. Jim, we're going to run through a few more of our turkeys, but first we've got to turn it over to the callers. First up is Paul from Marcellus, New York. Paul, welcome to Sound Opinions. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Great to be on the show. Well, thank you. Have you got a turkey for us? Oh, yeah. I don't know whether to call it a turkey or everyone's favorite rock and roll pinata of 2014, <laughs> but it is Songs of Innocence by U2. I'm glad to have you say that, Paul, because we've gotten a tremendous amount of grief from U2 lovers for shooting fish in a barrel, basically. Greg and I both really liked the last U2 album. What is it that turned you off about Songs of Innocence? What doesn't, I guess, to start? <laughs> For starters, just, you know, the distribution method, which was just so onerous, the way they just thrust it into everybody's iTunes. The record itself, the music, it's funny because everybody accused Coldplay 10, 15 years ago of wanting to be the next U2. This is U2's failed effort at trying to be the next Coldplay. The tables have completely turned here. were once a fan, but the band is turning you off now, is that right? Oh, I'm still very much a fan. I mean, I love this band, and I've loved them since I was a senior in high school in 1982. I mean, really, since the very beginning, almost. But this record, it's sort of their roots album, and it, it's not a return to their roots at all. I mean, I've seen where people said, oh, this, is, this reminds me of the sound of boy, and I'm just thinking, you really need to get a Q-tip and clean your ears. I mean, this is nothing like boy. It's nothing like October. There's no urgency. It's it's Muzak. It's dad rock, and and I wow. and I'm, well, it really is. And I and I I'm in that class. I mean, I'm almost 50 years old, but this is not fresh. It's not exciting. I mean, come on, exciting Joey Ramone. Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's just a joke. You two has nothing in common with Joey Ramone or with the Ramones at all. Paul, let me gauge your standards a little bit here on U2. What was the last great U2 record? The last U2 record you really loved. I like No Line on the Horizon. I like yeah. How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the people, though, who 
I don't think the Joshua tree is that good. I think that was Bono and its full Messiah complex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Octoon Baby, Octoon Baby stands up to me with any rock and roll album. I mean, that album is magnificent. They're able to laugh at themselves on that record. I hear what you're saying. I think they were a little experimental. They were trying things, and it was exciting to see this beloved stadium band starting to play with the studio and the self-deprecating humor, bringing in new elements into their sound, and I think a lot of that spirit of experimentation is gone now. Yeah, and the last few records were kind of quiet and contemplative a little more, which I appreciate. I mean, these guys are in their 50s. They're rock and roll warriors, and this record just just seemed to be like a blatant grab at, look at us, we're relevant again. It's kind of like my youngest kid trying to get attention at the dinner table. Ooh, 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 pass me, pass me the potatoes before they're gone. Yeah, that's our turkey of the year. I'm glad to turn it over to a listener instead of Greg and I having to, to dredge it up again. I think it's actually the worst album since that Metallica Lou Reed record, don't you, Greg? <laughs> From a major name artist, yeah. It probably yeah, ranks yeah. up there with a top two or three of the last decade, no doubt. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for giving us a turkey. Guys, I appreciate it. Love the show. Let's go to Omaha, Nebraska, and talk to Sean. Sean, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thanks. So tell us about the uh, most disappointing album of the year so far, your turkey. What I usually do for these type of albums is I'm usually looking at those types of albums where you kind of just wonder what the hell did I listen to as opposed to what everyone else was listening to. And I guess for me that was uh, Lana Del Rey's Ultraviolence. Yeah, I'm not a Lana Del Rey fan, but boy, every time you dare to criticize her, you hear from those who are. <laughs> yeah. So you're a brave man, Sean. Tell us what you disliked about Ultraviolence. When I listened, actually, I her first album, I saw a lot of parallels with Fiona Apple's first one, in that um, they kind of put off an error that they were just a very polarizing kind of figure, and both of them kind of had high-profile kind of botched live performances for Lana Del Rey's Saturday Night Live. Yeah. For Fiona Apple, it was the uh, VMA Award speech, which um, I thought was actually really great. At least with Lana Del Rey's her last album, there was a few songs that I definitely got the appeal of. And though I just kept hearing of this new one, Ultraviolence, by how much she has grown, I was just thinking, okay, this maybe this is worth checking out. And I got it, and I was just kind of stunned thinking, was this the, <laughs> did I buy the right album? What was the main difference for you with this record uh, compared to the stuff that you liked on the first one? I guess just lack of hooks. I think even the, her like most ardent critics would say that at least like video games or blue jeans at least had some catchy melodies to it. And this one, it was just like each song had this just really grating poutiness to it. What about the attitude in the lyrics? There's, you know, some intentionally provocative lyrics on this record. Do you pay attention to that? Did it matter? Did it sway you in any way? It seems like there's no motive to be excessively provocative of, other than just to raise attention. Sure. 
this whole I'm a bad girl attracted to bad boys who treat me badly act. Boy, is that tired and tiresome. Yeah. All right, that's a turkey. We're putting it in the oven. We're cooking it at 450 for four and a half hours. Thank you, Sean. No problem. Thank you, guys. Okay, Jim. Our last caller is Jeremy in Vista, California, north of San Diego. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for calling. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Jeremy, which album gets your vote for the biggest butterball this year? The new album from Rancid. I'm going to confess, Jeremy, I didn't even know Rancid was still a band. You may not have because they haven't had an album out in five years, but I've been waiting for five years to hear this. Their last two albums before this, Indestructible and Let the Dominoes Fall, were surprisingly really good and diverse for a punk album. And unfortunately, after the five-year break, they have uh, went really backwards in their sound. Backwards how so? Well, uh, it lacks diversity um, that made the other previous albums really stand out. All the songs are sort of cookie-cutter and fall into the uh, terrible punk trap of (laughs) being very predictable. And that's something that these guys stayed out of for decades. Is it pretty much uh, the original members, or what's the lineup look like these days? Yeah, I believe so. I believe it's still all the the original members, Tim Armstrong and uh, Large Fredrickson being the, the point men. (laughs) <laughs> they've been busy doing a lot of side projects, and I think that's what they spent all their time on and forgot about the main cause here. <laughs> Ooh. All right, what's the name of the record? Honor is All We Know. All right, let's hear a little bit of Ransom. I'm sticking to the plan and it's the river of the dam And I'm a standing in the set And I know right who I am When I live on the left When I say, say, oh, man It is always just a step And you're coming back again Well, you won't see us coming till we're already gone That's Rancid with Where I Belong from their album Honor Is All We Know, Jeremy's pick for the biggest turkey of the year. They do sound like Rancid from 25 years ago. You know, it's like, where have the years gone? Jeremy wants artistic growth. (laughs) Well, what's disappointing is they had that on the last two albums. I mean, they actually had an entire second disc on their last album of uh, acoustic reworkings. It was really good. It took a new direction. And there's none of that on this album. Yeah, but man, the hardcore fans didn't like that acoustic <laughs> stuff. They wanted to mosh to, to Rancid like they knew him when, you know? Uh, well, you know, and I like that stuff too, but I don't think they're going to like this either. It's sort of, uh, it doesn't meet either end of the spectrum. Punks can age gracefully more so than many other genres as long as they keep moving forward because it was never about being pretty or being hip or anything, right? But it doesn't sound – I mean, that sounded to me like Bad Dropkick Murphys, that track we just heard. (laughs) Right. Which is sort of an oxymoron. But uh, (laughs) thank you, Jeremy, for your turkey. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot. Those were some of our listeners' biggest musical disappointments. You can name your own by calling us at 888-859-1800. But, Greg, back to the two of us. I'm hungry for another help in a turkey. What do you got up to serve next? Yeah, unfortunately, I have to uh, list this Karen O. debut solo album, Crush Songs, as one of the turkeys of the year. Karen O., the singer in a great band, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, who apparently have broken up. Uh, There's no sign that they're going to record anymore. I hope they do. She was fantastic in that band, showing a tremendous range, not only for that feistiness, but also in the quieter, more contemplative tracks, like Maps. I was ready to hear anything Karen O wanted to do. I was not expecting an album as lame as Crush Songs turned out to be. It's almost as if she went into the studio or her bedroom and recorded a bunch of music and, and sort of didn't bother to finish it. 
These sound like sketches of songs. They sound like demos, poorly developed demos at that. Maybe if she'd taken a little more time with these songs, they would have had a chance to develop. But I think the the whole idea of Karen O singing behind this very rudimentary acoustic guitar, little background noise, I think the idea here was to create a sense of intimacy, like these are my private thoughts, things that I've collected in my most private moments over the years, and maybe listeners will be drawn into this. But I don't find it very compelling at all. There are very few promising moments on this record, even kernels of songs that you think could have developed into something great. I wish someone had said to Karen, uh, you know what, maybe this isn't your best move as your first solo album. I mean, this is an important moment for you. You need to create some attention and attract some attention. This is not the best way to do it. Very disappointing record, Crush Songs. Here's a track from it called Visits from Karen O on Sound Opinions. Is gonna come out slow. The worst is gonna come out slow. Cold, let her walk away. Young, never love again. Calling out your world a pain. Lone, who will stop the world? Visits from the very disappointing Karen O. Crush Songs record. Jim, what's your next turkey? Well, Greg, this is another one that lets me down in a big way. In 2013, I was a big fan of uh, the breakthrough pop pastiche by a band called Foxygen. We are the 21st century ambassadors of peace and magic. They were doing uh, sort of an update on what Love had done with its orchestral pop in the mid-60s. A lot of the British psychedelic bands, early Pink Floyd in there as well. This time they went completely off the rails. Yes, kids, there is such a thing as taking too much inspiration from psychedelia. This is a sterling example. Noisy, collage-like messes, like the Beatles' Revolution 9, which I've never considered a success, or a lot of what was on the early Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention records, or an unfinished, uh, half-baked record like Smile by Brian Wilson, which was aborted midway through. 
It's just a royal mess. None of those focused psychedelic pop songs with the with the uh, uplifting melody and the drive that we had last time. Just a lot of sonic clatter. Some uh, Sid Barrett, like vaguely tuneful uh, navel gazing, and just a whole lot of just experimentation. There's only uh, three or four songs that stand out over the course of a 24 track double album. The band was so good on record last time, they were really disappointing live. Both of us were disappointed when we first saw them at South by Southwest after that record's release, but I figured, you know, they were really ambitious in the studio, they just couldn't pull it off on stage. Instead, they took a left turn and went off the cliff, like the coyote in Roadrunner. So, here's an example of what I'm talking about. It's called Star Power Airlines by Foxygen from the record End Star Power. Star Power Airlines from the end Star Power album by Foxygen. You had it as one of your turkeys of the year, Jim. As far as I'm concerned, the previous one was kind of a turkey, too. I wasn't that fond of the previous Uh Foxygen record either. Here's an artist that uh, you and I have enjoyed a lot over the years, and... uh, But this is the year of weird from Neil Young. Consider that uh, earlier this year he uh, released that ultra-lo-fi voiceograph album recorded at uh, Jack White's studio, that A Letter Home record. I like that one. Couldn't have been recorded more crudely. Yeah, we both kind of gave it a pass, and I'm wondering, hmm, am I ever going to listen to that record again? (laughs) When sadness fills. Sorrow hides the longing to be free When things go wrong with each day You fix your mind to escape your misery I can guarantee you a record I'm never going to listen to again from Neil Young, though, and that's Story Tone, the latest Neil Young record, his second from this year. This was recorded live with a 92-piece orchestra. That's the gimmick. He's never attempted an album like this before. I like Crackpot Neil for the most part. As I said, I gave A Letter Home a pass. I love that rock opera about the ecology called Greendale oh, we, that we, nobody besides you uh, yeah, loved besides me. Just the two of us. We've defended uh, Trans, his Kraftwerk album. Yeah, yeah. In, in retrospect, that Trans album looks like it presaged a lot of things. The Storytone record, though, I can't make a case for in any way. 
the track Who's Gonna Stand Up is one of the most earnest, silliest things he's done. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, his heart's in the right right place, but these lyrics, end fracking now, let's save the water and build a life for our sons and daughters. I mean, that's not a song, it's a speech. There's a couple of tracks on here with uh, a big band that bring back really bad echoes of this Notes For You album in 1988, another one of his clunkers. Neil Young should not sing swing blues. That's just not (laughs) his thing. You know, he hedged his bets a little bit because he put out an accompanying solo acoustic record of all these songs done really stripped down, which is much better. But the orchestral record, wow, what a dud. Neil Young's story tone. Here's a track from it called Who's Gonna Stand Up on Sound Opinions. Protect the wild Tomorrow's child Protect the land from the greed of man Take out the dams Stand up to oil Protect the plants and renew the soil Who's gonna stand up and save the earth Who's gonna say that she's had enough gonna take on the big machine who's gonna stand up and save the earth this all starts with you and me Draw the line Before we build One more pipeline And fracking now Let's save the water And build a life For our sons and daughters Who's gonna stand up And save the earth Who's gonna say That she's had enough going to stand up by neil young a big disappointment and that ends this year's turkey shoot but you can still get in on the action and share your vote for the biggest flop at 888-859-1800 up next after a quick break on sound opinions from wbez chicago and prx we get back to some good music takers and feed the givers let's build the green and save the world we're the people known as earth who's gonna stand up and save the earth who's gonna save
As he moves from one woman to the next His spirit grows thin When he falls in love with one It's hard but it's true But it's oh so much harder When that woman is you Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And that is a tune called Lost on the River. It appears a few times on the album called Lost on the River, the new basement tapes. That's Elvis Costello singing. What are the basement tapes? Let's go back to the beginning, Greg. 1966, Bob Dylan suffers either a really, really bad or maybe not so bad motorcycle crash and comes out of the public view, settles in upstate New York around the town of Woodstock, West Saugerties, very scenic part of the Catskill Mountains. In time, he begins making music again with the band he'd been touring with before that accident. They were called the Hawks at the time. They would become the band, and they record boatloads of music at various houses around that area, one including Big Pink, eventually released in 1975. This is 1967. They're recording 75. Some of the basement tapes begin to be released. Now, we've seen basement tapes recordings from those sessions come out in dribs and drabs in a million different ways over the years, but apparently there was even more music, or the beginnings of music, than we knew. Recently discovered was a box full of lyrics that Dylan wrote for songs that never quite came together in those basements. These were handed over to his trusted producer, T-Bone Burnett, who began a project with a new band, hoping to form a new sort of supergroup, the way the band was, to finish these songs, to take the lyrics, to put music to them, and to record them in a basement in Los Angeles, on the other side of the country, in the uh, Capitol Records building. The group that he put together included Elvis Costello, we just heard him on vocals, Jim James, or Yim Yames, as he sometimes prefers, from My Morning Jacket, a young woman named Rhiannon Giddens from the Carolina Chocolate Drops, Taylor Goldsmith from Dawes and Marcus Mumford of the Mumford and Sons. They would record 40 tracks with these half-begun lyrics. 20 of them are on this new album, Lost on the River. We have a Showtime documentary coming up. All this new Basement Tapes music all of the sudden. Let's sample some of it. We'll come back and we'll give our reviews. This is Down on the Bottom. features uh, Jim James on vocals from Lost on the River on Sound Opinions. Down on the bottom Down to the last straw In the cut Down on the bottom No place to go But up Always been in trouble Strike. 
That is Down on the Bottom from the new Basement Tapes, Lost on the River with Jim James on vocals. You know, in addition to all that stuff you mentioned, Jim, there's a box set that basically chronicles the entire session from uh, New York in 67 with uh, Dylan and the future members of the band. A hundred plus tracks from those sessions. And it illustrates the camaraderie that these guys, they had Mm -hmm. developed a real chemistry, playing together, hanging out with each other for a couple of years. Here, basically, T-Bone Burnett is entrusted with these new Dylan lyrics, and let's throw uh, these musicians in a room. You know, some big names, Costello and Jim James and Marcus Mumford, Taylor Goldsmith, Rhiannon Giddens, as you mentioned. Five singer-songwriters, multi-instrumentalists with a set of vintage Dylan lyrics and then uh, turn it into mu- new music with T-Bone Burnett <laughs> producing, what could possibly go wrong? Everything? You know, it's one of those things where you're trying to create lightning in a bottle in a two-week recording session. Yeah. You're not going to get the same kind of vibe that the Hawks and Dylan had, so it's a little bit strange to sort of name this project after that. This is a, this is a totally different thing. If people are expecting that sort of chemistry here, the uh, appeal here is to hear a Costello or a Jim James singing a Dylan lyric and creating new music for it. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. To me, the revelation on the record is actually Rhiannon Giddens of Carolina Chocolate Drops. The, the tracks that she sings on illustrate some real sense of, you know, where Dylan was coming from, some of this, this, this vintage material that he was drawing on as an influence, you know, pre-rock and roll influences in country, even jazz, blues, gospel, bringing that stuff in. And she kind of channels some of that on the tracks that she sings on this particular album. One example being that track, Heidi, Heidi Ho, a Dylan original, number 16. very Cab Calloway influenced, and she kind of gets that. Some of the other stuff, you know, Taylor Goldsmith of Dawes sounds a little stiff in this environment. Marcus Mumford, I'm not so sure that he (laughs) fully grasps what's going on here. I mean, they're all trying to work their way in with each other in a two-week period. It's impossible. There's some hits, there's some misses. It's a try-it record for me. I think you're being kind, Greg. I hate this record. It's a trash it record. Look, there's a fundamental problem above and beyond the fact, uh, the facts that the uh, Marcus Mumford and Jim Janes I have never been fans of, and and not so much Elvis Costello either. Putting them together and just expecting them to become a band, let alone a band as good as the band, is ridiculous. You and I, a couple of years ago, did a speaking thing at Washington College in Maryland about our lyrics poetry. And I remember you being very eloquent in saying, Bob Dylan is certainly poetic, but you cannot read his lyrics and think they are poetry. You cannot separate them from A, the voice, and B, the music. So to think that Dylan has anything to do with this, there was a shoebox full of dusty lyrics. T-Bone himself has said this was a project of musical archaeology. Oh, boy, doesn't that sound exciting, right? Dust off these lyrics, finish them in a half-baked way with some big names in the Americana underground, throw everything together and think that you're going to capture some semblance of 67 and Big Pink because you're using vintage microphones. This is a marketing ploy, pure and simple. It's a soulless 
depressing album to me. Hmm. Not a successful collaboration like Wilco and Billy Bragg getting together with those Woody Guthrie lyrics on Mermaid Avenue. I think that worked because they cared very passionately about the lyrics and tried to write music that completed them. So this this is a trash it record for me. A try it for you. What do we have on the show next week? Jim, you're going to love this show. We've got Robert Plant in the studio, a major in-depth interview with one of the founding members of Led Zeppelin. As always, we have some thank yous to say. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Anthony Martinez, and our intern is Alex Claiborne. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hey guys, it's Julie from Los Angeles, and I really enjoyed the conversation about science, mind, music. I have been preparing for an exhibition of paintings and drawings for the past few months, and I have been obsessed with listening to Shlomo, and after I'm done with the show, I'm going to try to listen without painting and see if I can understand what it is about his sounds that are keeping me going, but it's a pretty incredible thing. I'm calling from Chicago. In 1979, I was a senior in high school when The Wall was released, and quickly it became one of the most important things in my life. It was a complete immersion. It rendered every other record in my collection useless. There was nothing you listened to before The Wall. There's nothing you listened to after The Wall. All there was was The Wall. The story of Pink never mattered to me that much. Instead, I took it on as my story. All of my anxieties, all of my fears, loneliness, melancholia, they were all in those songs. Perfectly captures what I was feeling at the time. Hey, out there on your own, sitting naked by the phone, would you touch me? When the movie came out a few years later, I say, hey, your version isn't my version. Those aren't the images that I used. This isn't my story. And it was then that for me, the wall became quieter. And over time, I stopped listening to it altogether. The show comes on, into it one more time, and I think, see why I like it? See why it was good, but we're not the same person anymore. 
We're both 35 years older, and it just doesn't have the emotional impact for me anymore. Instead, for me, wall will remain a curious artifact from a time that has long since passed. Thanks, guys. This is Kyle from Naperville, and I was a junior in high school. And I remember sitting in class telling my buddy, hey, did you hear about Pink Floyd's new album, Off the Wall? And if you recall, at that same time, Michael Jackson had just come out with an album called Off the Wall. And uh, clearly the coolest girl in the class overheard me, turned around and staunchly corrected me. It's the wall. But I spent many nights laying on my bedroom floor, my head between the stereo speakers, listening to that album and staring at the artwork and listening beginning to end. And I always professed for many years it was an experience. It wasn't an album, it was an experience. And I hated when the radio would play another brick in the wall on mainstream radio because it just needed to be listened to it in its entirety. So thank you for helping me understand and dissect the album, relive through the memories. Appreciate it. Messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.